You know, Danielle and I had one of the most difficult seasons in our marriage when our son was in elementary school because for about six weeks, we let him play two sports at the same time. Many, many of you parents have kind of gone through that. He played baseball and soccer for about six weeks, like in first or second grade at the same time. And at the end of that six weeks, I remember reintroducing myself to my wife and saying, like, it's, it's good to see you again. We were so busy running from practices to games, to different practices, to different games, to getting the laundry done, to getting the snacks packed. Uh, I was coaching, I think, maybe both of the team. It was just crazy. And we decided then that our, our marriage would always trump our kids' sports schedule. So we said, you know, our kids are never going to play two sports at the same time. I grew up in a small town, and you played like one sport at a time. You know, you play a sport, then it would end. You play the next sport, then it would end. You play the next sport, and then it would end. Now you can play everything like all at once. And because we're still trying to decide which of the six sports our kid's going to get a college scholarship in, we just let them play them all, you know, just in case maybe all of them hit, and they'll be like the greatest athlete in the history of the world. Um, but because of that, my son right now is playing baseball, but we did not let him run track for um, his school. He goes to school here. And he didn't, he didn't like that. He wasn't in agreement with that decision. But we learned long ago to, quit, to, to not let our kids kind of run our household. So we said, no, you can't do this. So he's playing baseball, having a good time. But he's got a lot of friends that are running track. And a few weeks ago, one of his friends came over who's running track. And they had just set a PR, personal record, in the 400 meters. It's an event that they run. Um, and they told Christian, who knows nothing about track, he's never ran track, um, they're like, yeah, I set a PR at the meet last week, and here's what it was. And Christian's like, I could do that. And I'm sitting in the room, and I said, son, no, no, you can't. And he's like, yeah, I can. And I said, son, no, you can't. And he starts putting on his shoes, and he said, time me. Let's go to the school right now. Time me. So this friend and him are at the house. And I said, son, you don't understand. You've never run a 400-meter race. That's the hardest race that there is. If you're not in shape for that, you, you're not even going to make it, you won't even make it around the track. And he said, no, dad, I, I can do it. I know I can beat them. So I said, all right. So we loaded up in the car and I said, you better grab some water. We grabbed some water. We come up to the school and no one's here. And he gets set. And the whole time I'm trying to talk him out of it. I said, this is not going to end well. Said, no, I, I can do it, dad. And I said, you, have you ever even, have you ever sprinted 400 yards without stopping? No, but dad, I, you know, I can do it. I'm lifting for football and you know, I'm playing baseball. And I said, all right, here goes. So he got set and I got my stopwatch out and said, go. And for 100 yards, he, he was good. 200 yards, he was, was good. At about 270, you saw his head start going up, you know, instead of down as he was running. And at about 310 or so, he just fell down on the track. And I'm yelling, come on, come on. And he just waves it literally in this position. He goes... Like, I ain't going to finish. And he almost crawled the rest of the way on the track. And I mean, his time was at minutes, like minutes, plural. It was horrible. But he had started a race that he couldn't finish. Let me, let me ask you a question. When you look at your life spiritually, do you ever wonder if you've started a race that you can't finish? I mean, has following Jesus totally worn you out? Has serving Jesus or having the thought that you have to maybe continue serving Jesus, does that thought just overwhelm you? Are you living a life where you really want to know Jesus is working and you look around and you realize Jesus is working, but you look at your own life and you're like, I mean, I know Jesus is working and I know the great things are happening in the church, but I, I personally don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can finish this race. 
Because if you've ever been in that position, or maybe you're in that position today, today is the Sunday for you. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 6. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got Bibles that you can use. If you need one, just wave at them. We're going to tell a very familiar story if you've been around church, if not a great story for you to learn. But we're going to tell it through the lens of what happens as you follow Jesus, but you're really, really worn out. And this might be the most important message of this series because of the season that our church is in. If you haven't already, pull the sermon notes out of the back of your bulletin so that you can take notes this morning. But we, we are in a season of our church. We are in a season at the journey that's kind of a season of pushing. But, but that's part of the spiritual journey. We've been saying this entire series that following Jesus is not just a decision. It is a direction. It is a journey. And like on every journey that you've ever taken... There are times that the car runs out of gas. There are times that the vehicle that's trying to take you from point A to point B, whether it be a car, whether it be an airplane, whether it be a a train, regardless of what you're on, there's nothing that takes you on a journey that that every now and then you don't have to stop and refuel. And the same thing is true of your spiritual life. No matter where you are on your journey, if you don't learn to stop and refuel every now and then, you're going to get really, really tired. And as you travel deeper, as you journey deeper in your relationship with Jesus, you're supposed to get stronger spiritually. But a lot of times, the more we press into Jesus without really knowing how to refuel often, the more exhausted we find ourselves. And as we travel through the book of John, John doesn't say, I want you to learn how to journey with Jesus so you can just totally wear yourself out. John says, I want you to learn how to journey with Jesus because as you learn how to journey with Jesus, you're going to see things that allow you to believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. As we review the book of John just real quick, the word believe is used a hundred times in the book of John. John said, I'm writing this book so you can really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And the book of John is divided into three sections, seven I am statements where Jesus says, Here I, here's who I am. Seven te- teaching narratives where Jesus says, here's who I want you to become. And then there are seven miraculous signs where Jesus says, here's who I am. Here's who I want you to become, and here's why you can believe in me. Because of the miraculous signs I'm doing, I'm proving to you that I'm supernatural. My truth is supernatural. My life is supernatural. And if you follow me, you'll follow me into a supernatural life now and into eternity. And in John chapter 6, we see one of his supernatural signs done in a way that when we look behind the scenes, talks to the tired Christian. And maybe that's you today. We see in John chapter 6 some ministry done that really speaks to the exhausted volunteer. So we're going to learn some great things today. I think God has ordained this message for this day in this season at this church, maybe just for you, because as I prepare my messages and I send them off to our volunteer teams, I send them off to our production teams and the people who make the stuff on the screen and the people who make the notes in your hands, almost every volunteer that has gone through this message already this week has emailed me back or texted me and called me and said, you know, I really... I really needed that. What I learned from your message, I really needed thank you. So I believe that a lot of people hopefully are going to feel that today. What's the story? It's a story about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Here's how it goes in John chapter 6. It says, sometime after this, after Jesus' signs, after Jesus' ministry, it says, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. We know women and children would have been there as well. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, and when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now listen, there is so much to learn today. And I have been so encouraged by what I've learned in putting this Bible study together for you Um, for this morning, but here's the first thing you need to understand. Let's journey back with Jesus in John chapter 6 and learn some just important Christian principles. Number one, you need to see that in the midst of a massive move of God, people can get tired. In the midst of following Jesus, people can get tired. We're able to learn so much about this miracle because this is the only miracle of Jesus found in all four books about his ministry life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were four men who wrote books about the life and ministry of Jesus. They all have a lot of stories in common. The only miracle that's in every one of their books is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So we have so many angles to look at this miracle from, and we can learn so many things about it. But what we need to learn is two things. One, the ministry was working. The ministry plan was working. But the people who were following Jesus were tired. Look at John chapter 6, verse 2. We said the signs were so that people would believe. It says a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. So the plan is working. The ministry was expanding. There were 5,000 men there, plus their wives, their sisters, their sons, their daughters. I mean, scholars estimate there were probably between 15 and 20,000 people there. The, The plan was working. The people were coming, but Jesus looked up. And he said, man, these people at this point in their journey, they're tired. And here was the problem. Verse 4 tells us that they were on their way to the feast of the Passover, which meant this. At that time, people would leave their homes, and they would travel hundreds of miles from their home to go to the temple in Jerusalem, to stay in Jerusalem for a week and worship God, and then to go home. And here's what we know. When they had hit Galilee, many of them had been traveling, if not for days, then certainly for weeks And they had more than a week to go on foot. And Jesus looked at this group of people. Maybe this is where you are spiritually. And Jesus said, man, they have come so far since they started their journey. But they have so far to go to finish their journey. And he looked at them and he told the disciples, we have to help these people. Maybe that's where you are spiritually. Maybe you look back to where you started your spiritual journey and it's really far behind. God has really moved you from where you used to be to where you are. But you hear where Jesus ultimately wants you to be and you're like, man, I just, whew, I don't know that I can get there. I mean, I've come so far. I've started going to church. I read my Bible a little bit. I give a little bit in the offering. I've started serving. I go to small group every now and then. Like I've come so far from where I started but you see where Jesus ultimately wants you to be. And it's like, man, I, like I've come so far, but I don't know that I can make it all the way to the presence of God and the temple of God. And you need to understand Jesus sees that. And Jesus sees when you're weary, when you're tired and you're exhausted. And he calls time out on your behalf. And he says, let's help these people. The people were tired. But more than the people, the disciples were exhausted. 
Because we have four looks at this miracle, we know more about what happened before this miracle and after this miracle than any other story. And here's what the book of Mark tells us. The book of Mark tells us that right before this miracle, Jesus, for the very first time ever, had sent his disciples out to do ministry all by themselves. He trained them up. He'd sent them out, and he said, go. And and he sent them out for weeks to do ministry on their own. They came back from this basically mission trip that they'd been on. And they came to Jesus, and they were exhausted. And they were celebrating with Jesus all the ministry time that they wanted to have. And here's where the disciples found themselves as we enter John chapter 6. Mark 6.30 said, the, the apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. The disciples were so busy doing ministry, they hadn't even taken time to eat. They had missed some meals. And as they came back to Jesus to tell him all that was going on, Jesus said, man, you guys are not going to make it unless you rest and get something to eat. So we find out from the book of Mark that Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away to rest when this opportunity presented itself. But the ministry that the disciples were celebrating was a ministry that had worn them out. Let me ask you a question. Is it going to be okay with you that ministry will wear you out sometimes? Is it going to be okay with you that trying to live for Jesus is going to wear you out sometimes? Is it going to be okay with you that really having a relationship with Jesus is adding a real relationship to all the other relationships of your life? Is it going to be okay with you that Christianity takes effort? You know, I heard on the news this week an interesting study, and I hope I don't cause any conflict with this study. But I heard this week that in the last 15 to 20 years, the price of engagement rings has doubled. And they did some research on why the price of engagement rings have doubled. And here's what they found out. 15 to 20 years ago, an engagement ring was bought by a man as a symbol of his commitment for his bride. And he asked her to marry him. In the last 15 to 20 years, women have started picking out their own engagement rings. And an engagement ring, instead of being a symbol of commitment... By a man, an engagement ring has become a symbol of status for a woman. And they said the amount of married women who are trading up because their engagement ring doesn't match their status has added to the price of engagement rings doubling. Now, forgive me for the fight that I just caused in your household later. But here's what I thought as is, is I thought through that. I thought, you know, we've changed, we've changed the rules on what it means to get engaged. We've changed the rules on how important this ring is that symbolizes commitment rather than status. Is it possible that we're trying to change the rules of following Jesus? Is it possible that we want to follow Jesus? Is it possible that we want Jesus to be committed to us, but we want to pick out our own ring? Is it possible that we want Jesus to give us all of his heart, but we we kind of want to pick the package and what that looks like? Is it possible that we want all of Jesus' compassion for us without any of our commitment to him? Is it possible that we want all of Jesus' affection for us without any effort for him? Is it possible that we want Jesus to use us to have impact on other people in our world as long as it doesn't wear us out? I mean, is it possible that we've tried to change the rules? Because when you look in scripture and you find out what it took to follow Jesus, you see people getting tired. Even in a great move of God. This isn't a church that's falling apart. This is a ministry on the upswing and people are tired. What I've learned is living for Jesus takes effort. 
Volunteering for Jesus takes effort. But I know this, I'm thankful that the generations that came before us didn't quit. This was the disciples' moment to quit. This was the first time they'd done ministry on their own. This is the first time we read that they were so busy that they had missed meals. And they didn't come to Jesus saying, that was awesome, but it really took it out of me. I'm going to need a few days off. I'm going to need a few weeks off. You know, Jesus' ministry, you know, I, I wasn't even able to eat lunch one day. They didn't come wanting to quit. They came wanting to celebrate. Because something in their mindset saw ministry as eternally, eternally shaping in the lives of people they were ministering to. They knew life and ministry were going to be hard, but they had decided it was worth it. Jesus had warned them in John 16, He said this to his disciples. I've told you these things about life and ministry so that in me you may have peace. Now in the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, I, I've told you things about following me so that you'd have peace in a world where you have trouble, in ministry where you have trouble, in relationships where you have trouble. If you follow me, you can have peace in the midst of all that, but you might get worn out sometimes. So how do we get this disciple mindset that I'm exhausted, but I'm encouraged? And I'm tired, but I don't want to quit. Well, we learn in John chapter 6 that managing ministry with a tired spirit, it takes incredible motivation and it takes incredible trust. It takes incredible motivation, really believing in what you're doing and why you're doing it. But then it takes trust that Jesus is going to add to you what you're lacking in life. Again, the four angles of this miracle tell us so much more about this miracle than any other miracle in Scripture. And I can guarantee you that this miracle of Jesus took more out of him than any other miracle that he did. Because I believe this was one of the most difficult days of his life, just according to what Scripture tells us. We read in the early stages of the life of Jesus, really before he was born, when we learn about his mother Mary getting pregnant, we learn she had an aunt who was named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was getting ready to have a son that would be six months older than Jesus. Elizabeth's son's name would be John the Baptist. Mary would have a son named Jesus, which means they were related. They were somehow cousins or second cousins. John was the one who baptized Jesus and introduced him to the world. These would have been two kids that knew each other well. Their families would have been close. And John had been killed by Herod, who was not the king, but kind of the governor on behalf of Rome over Israel. And we find out from Matthew, as he tells us the story of this miraculous feeding, that not only were Jesus' disciples exhausted, but Jesus had just found out that his cousin had been killed when he ran into the opportunity to do this ministry. Matthew 14, 12 through 14 says it this way. John's disciples came, John the Baptist, and they took his body and they buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So Jesus and his disciples were in a boat going to a place for two reasons. The disciples were exhausted. They'd done a lot of ministry and they were tired. And I believe Jesus was emotionally spent. I believe he was hurting and they show up and bang, you've got the disciples worn out, you've got Jesus hurting, but there's this crowd that needs ministry. Man, when I look at this situation through the eyes of myself as a pastor, I'm ashamed sometimes of, of what my flesh sometimes leans into because there's several ways to react to this situation. Jesus' disciples are exhausted, Jesus is hurting, he shows up on the shore and there's more ministry to be done. You know, when I have times in my life when I'm tired or when I'm hurting, 
But ministry keeps presenting itself. You know, sometimes I feel a little sorry for myself, if I could just be honest. If I just start with me, sometimes I feel a little sorry for me. Sometimes I feel like ministry will just never be good enough, that it'll never last long enough. Sometimes I wonder if it's doing any good at all because it just never ends. There have been times when I've allowed myself to get a little bitter. It's like, man, can't, can't people just get it together? Like, can I just have a day to just go away? I'm just telling you my own flesh. But the reality is when I stay close to Jesus, when I stay in the word, when I stay in prayer, when I stay around the right people who have the right spirit of ministry, every time I see a ministry opportunity, I see another opportunity to help. It's not that I'm not tired, but I embrace the opportunity because of my motivation and my purpose. Ministry wears you out, but let me ask you, is it bad to be worn out doing something that's worthwhile? You see, I believe there's such a thing as good exhaustion. And maybe we don't need a schedule fix as much as we need a a mindset fix in our life. Do you know there's such a thing as good exhaustion? One of the elders in our church owns a CrossFit gym in Lee Summit called Do Work CrossFit behind Home Depot. And they hold a competition every kind of February and March. It's called the Open where people like compete against everyone in the world doing the exact same activities and things. And we've got a lot of people in our church who work out there. So one night on a Thursday night, I went to hang out with Robbie and see some of our guys compete. And I don't know a lot about CrossFit. I, you know, I, I don't do it much, probably because I'm a wimp um, after watching it. But I, I go and, and they're doing this event. They put 10 minutes on a clock. And I think, I, I think the first one that had a heart attack won. I, like, I think that was the purpose of the event. Ten minutes, who can die first? I mean, it was just crazy the, the things these people were doing. I mean, they were killing us. People were yelling. People were sweating. People were bleeding. Um, like, there may have been one guy crying a little bit. I mean, it was, it was intense. And like, the buzzer goes off after ten minutes, and everyone just collapses. They're all just on the floor. And I'm watching these people trying to figure out which one these CPR um, but as they kind of collect themselves, they start smiling, they start laughing, they start fist bumping each other. They're more exhausted than I'd ever seen any human being and at the same time more excited than I'd ever seen any human being because there was some motivation behind the exhaustion. How come we don't feel that way about ministry? How come we, when we get exhausted in ministry, we get bitter? rather than excited? How come we don't fist bump on a Sunday when we go home and like we're so tired, you know, we might miss a meal? How come we don't fist bump and we're not excited about that spiritual workout? Is it because we believe that what we're doing has no importance for anyone? Like what's the motivation behind setting up chairs? What's the motivation behind watching kids in the nursery? What's the motivation behind being a greeter? What's the motivation behind setting up the baptism tank? What's the motivation behind setting up all the pipe and drape or the sound and lights? If we go home, get in our car, and we're angry instead of looking for someone to fist bump because we have just completed a workout of eternal significance. There's a motivation problem. There's a motivation problem when when we can do something that wears us out and be excited about it, but we can do ministry that wears us out and we can get bitter. There's something spiritually wrong in our hearts when we get there. And the Apostle Paul said, because of my motivation, I work hard. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul said, I'm going to work hard in ministry, and when I'm tired, I'm going to smile and think, got that workout done, and someone's life might have been changed for an eternity. You see, ministry's good exhaustion. Christianity is good exhaustion. If you believe in spiritual impact, then you believe in spiritual rewards. It's good exhaustion. I love Vince Lombardi's quote about football. He said, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he's worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. What a great quote by the guy the Super Bowl trophy's named after. Is that you every Sunday afternoon? Is that you when you get done doing your devotions and praying on a day when you're really too tired to read your Bible and pray that you sit back and you think this is my finest hour because in total exhaustion, I've been victorious spiritually today. Read my Bible and prayed even though I didn't want to. I got up and I served at the church even though I'm really tired. Is that your finest hour spiritually or your worst hour? You know, building this church has been a spiritual battlefield, not just for me, but for everyone who's been committed to our mission the last four and a half years. And the reality is I've seen more signs of a move of, a move of God than I've ever witnessed in my life at our church. And at the exact same time, I've experienced more stress than I even knew existed in following Jesus in leaning into the ministry of this church. Say, aren't you excited for a building? Not really. One of my mentors told me buildings means budgets. Like that's just going to take a lot more money. I had another pastor tell me, remember, bigger churches, bigger problems, always. No, no, I mean, am I excited to move into a building? Yeah, I'm excited for the ministry opportunities of that. But, like, that's not the finish line of what God has called us to do. That's, I'm going to have to learn how to spiritually bench press a little more to do ministry there than I do here. I have to work a little harder. But I've learned that if we live life according to Jesus' formula for managing spiritual life and ministry life, and if we will trust that the way Jesus says to live our life keeps us filled up and charged up spiritually, then I've learned I can keep moving forward sometimes a moment at a time. You see, to manage ministry, to manage the Christian life when you're tired, you have to trust the Savior. You have to honor your Sabbaths, and you have to stay focused on spiritual impact. Jesus has given us an equation that keeps us filled up spiritually even when on our journey we keep draining the tank. Jesus said, here's where the filling stations are in your spiritual life. Next Sunday night, we're going to have our volunteer carnival. Every year we rent out Paradise Park and we with our volunteers and their kids, we have one of the greatest nights of the year hanging out, doing go-karts, playing video games, using the batting cages. It's our chance to say thank you for anyone who's volunteered. And you say, oh, does that fill up the volunteer's tank when you do that? No. As a matter of fact, if they're not following the prescription that I'm going to give you, the volunteer carnival is just another thing that takes energy out of them. It actually doesn't fill people up. It's like, ah, I've got that thing at Paradise Park tonight that, that we got to go to, you know. There will be some people who dragging your kids out of there by their shirt tails because you're just tired. That, that's not what we do to keep people filled up. That's not part of the spiritual equation. But when we look at what Jesus has to say about being filled up and living spiritually, Jesus says if you want to have spiritual impact and stay full spiritually in your life, he said you've got to do these four things. So we've, we've got what we call the four E's at our church. As we looked at the Gospels and we looked at the book of Acts in the New Testament, we said every Christian who does these four things, man, they make it. Even when they're tired, they make it. One, they experience worship on a weekly basis. They get in church because they realize the week wears them out, but church can fill them up. 
Two, they engage in small groups. They get engaged with Christian people in small groups and they have a Christian community around them that encourage them. Three, they embrace serving because by serving, we have impact. We get to know people and we really grow. And then they know where they are spiritually and they know what's next. So we know that people who follow that equation, it's not that they don't get tired, but they don't quit. But then we add a little more to it. There's what I call, you heard me use this word, Sabbath schedule. Say, what is Sabbath? Those were the periods of rest that God built into life so that we could make it. When we look at recharging, a recharging Sabbath schedule, when we look at plugging into Jesus and family the way that Jesus wants us to, there's a schedule that helps us stay recharged. Four things that I try to do in my own personal life and I've taught our church to do for years. Number one, depart daily. There's got to be a quiet moment in your day with your family. There's got to be a quiet moment in your day with Jesus. If not, you don't really have great relationships with these people. If you're not willing to pull away for an hour a day, maybe 30 minutes a day to just spend a little one-on-one time with Jesus, a little one-on-one time with your family, turn everything off, shut everything down, and, and just recharge relationally, you're going to struggle. The Bible has this thought of withdrawing weekly. There was a weekly Sabbath built into creation. Before any man existed and any work needed to be done, God said, we're going to take day seven off, and this is going to be a day to rest and recharge. You know, I've been looking back at my life lately because today on April 24, 2016, I told Danielle, and I've told her this the last few weeks, I said, man, I'm, I'm wearing it pretty good physically. I'm, I'm tired. And we go back and we look at this schedule and we realize... Departing daily has not been happening enough. We realize I've been disconnected from some of the ease, disconnected from some of the people in my life who pour into me. I've been looking back at my Sabbath schedule and I say, you know what? I've been using some of my Sabbaths to catch up rather than rest up. And I wonder why I'm not being recharged spiritually. You've got to one day a week just rest up and enjoy your life and family and recharge. The Bible says that we should quiet quarterly, that we should get away. They had feasts and special ceremonies and days built into the Old Testament calendar where you kind of pull away from everything. So I tell people every quarter, get get away for a night someplace or just take a day off and go fishing with the kids or go play golf. But at least once a quarter, take a good two-day block, maybe even a weekend, and just go away somewhere. And then abandon annually. There were feast weeks built into the Old Testament calendar where people would stop working and they would go to temple and they would basically just enjoy family, friends, and God for an entire week. And when I look at these eight things, eight things that Jesus has given us so that we don't crash and burn, he's given us church on Sunday, he's given us small groups of Christians that will pour into us, he's given us ministry to serve in that will keep our heart kind of beating spiritually, he's given us kind of personal plans that help grow our life, He's given us time every day to pull away. He's given us a day every week to kind of back off. He's given us a weekend every quarter. He's given us a week every year. It's like, man, if everyone would do that, would we get tired? Yes. Would we be worn out? Yes. Would we make it? Yes. But some of you are going to have to go home and really discuss these eight things because your life does not revolve around these eight things. Your life revolves around the coach's email in your inbox and when the next practice is. Your life revolves around the boss's text message on your cell phone and when your next project is. And after you've done everything for everyone else, you stop and say, okay, Jesus, what do you have for me? And Jesus says, all right, here it is. And you're like, oh, I don't have time for that. You won't make it long-term spiritually with that. And I love what Pastor Andy Stanley said. I heard him say this before we started the church, which is why we we try to hold so routinely to our schedule. He said, God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. 
So you don't have to take your day off, but God never promises to make up for that. You don't have to get away every day with your family and spend time with Jesus, but God never promises to make up for that. You don't ever have to be in a small group spiritually, but God never promises to provide relationships in your life. You don't have to serve, but God never promises to put in you what you'll get out of serving. You don't have to do any of these things, but God never promises to make up for misplaced priorities. God says, live your life this way and you'll be okay. And in my own life, I've been looking back at those eight things and I can realize now that I've mismanaged my life a little bit because I want to do ministry longer than just a few years. But then here's what I've found, number three. I've been praying this this week about this message and about our church in this season. Our best in Jesus' hands is more than enough. Some of you think, well, I just don't have a lot to offer right now. Your best, regardless of how much that is, in Jesus' hands is more than enough. Look at verses 5 through 9. We see three opportunities, three options of what you can give Jesus. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy, he said, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far are they going to go among so many? You know, there's three people in this story who come to Jesus to sign up. One's this kid. We don't learn his name, but he's in every gospel that's written about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's there in all of them. I can't wait one day to meet him in heaven and to ask him, tell me what that was like. It had to be mo- the most amazing for him, yet no one wrote his name down. We see that some of you in here are like this kid. You have childlike faith that proudly gives everything it has. This is, ob- this is believe it or not, this is a starting point in faith that doesn't last. Because you can't just give everything. You, then you, you eventually back off and you'll quit everything. But some people, th- this is kind of true of new Christians. They just, I'm a Christian. I, I'm going to sign up for everything. Anytime you need me, call me. Don't ever say that to a church because we always need things. Like just say, you know, anytime you need me at this time, call me. Um, but churches, they always have ministry to do. But this kid shows up and with pride, I mean, has five loaves of bread and two fish. And he's like, here, you, you can have my lunch. It's like, kid, you know, that's, that's nice, like pat him on the head. But this is childlike faith. Remember a few years ago when my son was nine, we happened to be with one of my family members when they found out that their spouse had been having an affair on him and, and that their marriage wasn't going to make it. And literally it was like in this three-day window where every day we just found out things that were worse. And this family member had, had moved into our house and was celebrating their birthday like in this window. It's horrible. And, you know, all the other family was kind of out of town. So on the birthday, we, you know, we got a birthday cake and we got some cards. And I'll never forget that moment when this person opened their cards, you know, through tears, we got a little cake and some candles and we're singing happy birthday. And they begin to open the cards and they open Christian's cards. Now, what you need to know about my son is he's a tightwad. Um, like Christian will do anything for money, but he'll never spend his own money. Like if you go into Chick-fil-A and he's like, hey, I want a cookie. And you're like, okay, pay for it. And he's like, I don't want a cookie. Uh, but like if you'll buy him one, he'll eat 10. Like he, he, you know, like if you ask Christian, hey, can you, can you go let the dog out? He's like, will you pay me? And it's like, I'll let you live here. Like go, go let the dog out. This has always been his DNA. I just want you to know who he is a little bit. And on this day, this family member opens up the birthday card that Christian gave and taped to the inside was a $5 bill that he had found in his room, the most money that he had. And he was so proud because he was basically saying, I know you've been hurting. I've been watching the last few days. 
here's five dollars. It, it was like the, it had to be like the kid on this day. He was so proud. It's like five dollars did nothing for the situation except touch someone's heart deeply because she knew he's all in. He'll do, he's nine, but he'll do whatever it takes to help me. See this kid here. Some of you have been like that in a church experience. You just sign up for anything and everything because your childlike faith is so excited, but that begins to wear on you. A lot more of us hopefully have learned to be like Andrew. Andrew's faith humbly gave what it can. I believe he sheepishly brought it to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, like here's... Like this kid gave his lunchable. Um, there's a lot of people, but like maybe this is enough for you to eat. He very humbly gave what he could. But we learned that was enough. You know what I've learned in my life? If we can learn to give a five loaf, two fish effort to Jesus, he'll do the rest. There's a lot of times in ministry where I've had to give a five loaf, two fish effort. It's, it's not enough. On my own, it's not enough. But it's like, Jesus, here's all that I have today. Jesus is like, okay, I can work with that. There's a lot of times as a husband, I've had to give a five loaf, two fish effort. So I'm tired, but it's time to go on a date. It's like, Lord, I, man, I don't have enough for all this, but I, you know, I'll give what I can give. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll work with that. There's a lot of times I've given a five loaf, two fish effort as a parent. It's like, I wish I I had hours to spend with my kids, but I don't. But in this little 20-minute window, let me pour my heart into your heart. And Jesus is like, I can, work, I can work with that. And there's a lot of time in ministry with people where I don't have the time that I need, the energy that I need. I, I can't give the effort that's needed. But it's like, Jesus, I'll give, I, I've got a five-loaf, two-fish effort for this one. But if you can use it, and Jesus is like, yeah, I'll, I, that'll be enough. I'll take it. There's Andrew. Humbly gives what he can. And then there's Philip, who does nothing. And here's what I learn as I read through John 6 and I live my life. The Philips in our life and the Philips in our head, they not only do nothing, they try to convince everybody else to do nothing too. Oh, that's too much. Oh, that's not going to work. You only have 10 minutes with your kid? Can't take him out to breakfast? Why buy him a donut on the way to school? That's stupid. You don't have time to take your wife on a, on a nice date, but you had this thought that maybe you guys could take a walk at sunset? That's dumb. The Philip in our head just tries to convince us to do nothing. The, the, Jesus came to Philip and he said, what are we going to do? And Philip's like, there's nothing we can do. Some of you feel that way in ministry. I can't be at church every Sunday, so I'll just do nothing. That's Philip in your head. Well, you know, I can't be there 52 Sundays a year. I can't teach Sunday school class. I don't know the Bible very well. Philip will give you a hundred reasons why you should do nothing. And Philip's living our life and Philip's living our head. But what I've decided is I've read John chapter 6 this week and I've studied it is I as a Christian, I always want to be an Andrew and I never want to be a Philip because my humble effort is always more than enough when I give it to Jesus. Look how this story ends in verses 10 through 13. After getting the lunchable, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. There were about 5,000 men there. Jesus then took the, took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they'd all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Always be an Andrew. 
Never be a Philip. Because your best, even if it's just a little bit, is more than enough when you put it in Jesus' hands. What a great ending to a great story with great lessons for me, but I believe for you too. Because here's what I believe God has shown me this week. Our church has to be tired because we've been pushing hard for four years, four and a half years. Our church has to be tired because I'm tired and I'm setting the pace. And if I'm out front and I'm beginning to blink a little bit and think, hi, Lord, when's, when's, when's this race over? I know all the people are thinking that too. I get that. But I know what I'm pursuing and I understand the spiritual impact that we're having. So I'm going to trust my Savior. I'm going to honor my Sabbaths. And I'm going to take time to recharge with Jesus every day, every week, with my friends, with my small group, serving in ministry, because I'm always going to be an Andrew and I'm never going to be a Philip. So the thought I want to leave you with today is one, be an Andrew, not a Philip. But life with Jesus takes effort. So don't forget to recharge. That lesson is so important that I want to give you something today before you go. Our team has created these little JCI car chargers. Have you ever been someplace and had your phone die or needing to go someplace in your car and your maps drain so much of your phone and it's like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to get within 10 minutes and I'm just going to have to guess. It's like, yeah, you worry about losing your battery charge. I want to give you one of these to put in your car. Maybe you've got a cool new car that doesn't use a cigarette lighter. You can like take this to the dashboard or something. It makes a cool little ornament. If you drive an old used car like me, you can put this in the cigarette lighter, hoping you don't use that for smoking cigarettes as you drive down the road, um, and it'll, it'll charge your phone. But I want to put this in your hands today because I need you to be an Andrew. Andrew was tired. The Bible told us he'd been missing. The Bible told us he was exhausted. Andrew didn't have much. But he said, what I've got, Jesus can use. And one of the greatest, most well-known miracles in the life of Jesus occurred because a tired person said, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. As you leave today, I want to put one of these in your hands. But it really has nothing to do with this little charger. More than anything, I want to put this message in your heart. And I want to challenge you. The four E's, have some discussions about those. You can't make it without them. The Sabbaths, daily, weekly, quarterly, annually, you're not going to make it without those. You need to have some hard discussions and begin to look at how to rearrange your life so that you can stay plugged in to Jesus and his plan for your life. Let's pray together.